It's time to get real with Robin. Join veteran broadcaster Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, as they delve into subject matters that most are afraid to talk about, but need to hear. And now, get ready to get real. Life is 10% what happens to us, and 90% how we react to it. Our mindset plays a very intricate part in our day-to-day life. Having a positive mindset can redirect everything negative that happens in our lives. It's not what happens to us, but what we do with it that makes all the difference. Amy Van Dyken Ruin is a six-time Olympic gold medalist and has spent a lifetime defying the odds. She took up swimming to beat her childhood asthma, and in the 1996 Games, she broke records and made history for becoming the first American woman to earn four gold medals in a single Olympic Games. In June of 2014, a freak ATV accident altered her life and left her paralyzed from the waist down. She also suffered broken ribs, a head injury, and a severe vascular injury. Her prognosis was anything but good, as one doctor told her to say goodbye to her husband before going into surgery because they weren't sure they could save her. As any warrior does, Amy fought her way back and now has become an outspoken advocate for those who have suffered spinal cord injuries and those who are disabled. She once said that she wants to be known as a woman who did things that have never been done before, breaking barriers, hopefully making it more human to be a disabled person. And you know, today, Kirk, Nermi, and I are very honored to have this Olympian here with us in studio today. Welcome, guys. So good to see you both. Well, it's good to see you. Well, it's good to, good to be back with you, Robin, and to meet you, Amy. And I'm excited because, you know, getting to know her, it's not, to me, it's not a matter of Olympian, but a world-class human being. Oh, thank you. And that's you. what I see sitting across from me. Thank I would, you. I would agree with you on that, Kirk. Oh, thank you. I know I get uncomfortable, like, when people read out the stats, right? Because, again, it's interesting it's six pieces of gold, you know, and people are like, well, didn't it change X, Y, and Z? Well, you got a nicer car. Sure. Like I got, you know, I got a football player out of it, but it's, it doesn't like if six pieces of gold changed who I was, then I wasn't who I thought I was to begin with. So who were you to begin with though? Hot mess. And I'm a hot mess. Seriously. I'm one of those people where I've never had a filter like, I feel like I'm a very eclectic person. I'm an Aquarius. So I kind of go by, like, where the wind blows me, you know, I lead, I try to always lead with kindness and love first. Sometimes on the 101, that does not happen. Let's just be honest. You're right about that, sister. Right? So, yep. Yep. you know, that's who I was. And then I think through the games, I think I kind of lost it a little bit, right? Because you become this, these people tell you who you are. And you're like, okay, well, so, you know, I'm you know, this flamboyant, giggly person who is also a a mean person. And I'm like, well, I was never really mean. You know what I mean? I had a mean persona. I had a persona where uh, I guess was what they thought I was in my own head. Like before races, I had a face on me, but I was thinking about what I was going to do. Like I'm racing for the pride of my country. So back off. That's a huge weight to carry. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And what's interesting is my very first Olympic race it was the 100 meter freestyle in Atlanta. First time we're really swimming a big competition in the United States. 
And I got fourth, right? And I remember hitting the wall and I looked at the time and I was like, well, that was a best time, which at the Olympics was a big deal, but I got fourth. I remember getting out of the pool and, you know, I collapsed with leg cramps and the whole thing. And I just remember thinking like, I'm a failure. Like, not only did I just let myself down, but like I let my whole country down because we send people to the games to walk away with a medal, not a pat on the back. And, you know, things that transpired after that, that evening really gave me the drive to do what I did um, because I don't think I was prepared to swim as well as I did. There was no way. My body wasn't ready, but I did it. Why did you consider yourself a failure? Because other people did? No, because I felt going into those games that I was going to medal in everything I swam. Now, Sports Illustrated came out and said, you're going to win one bronze medal. And I remember sticking up a middle finger and being like, you don't know who I am. But I thought I would at least get a bronze medal in the 100 free. So I felt like a failure because, again, we're Americans, right? Like, we're used to people winning a medal. And I didn't. And I just felt like it was just awful. But I I guess what I'm asking is, where does that... Where does that come from? Oh, it's I an mean, external thing. Okay. Right? But, I mean, so you start swimming at what age? Six. Uh, and how about competitively? Uh, probably 13. Does that become who you are, in essence, like when you're going through high school and, and, and college and whatever you did in mm-hmm. your journey, did that become who you were? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was Amy the Swimmer. And that's how people referred to me, little Amy the Swimmer. But what about you when you looked in the mirror? Was that... Also Amy the Swimmer, or was it something different? It was that, and I got validation from winning. Because then at that moment, I felt like it was worth something, that I was worth something. Because that's when I got the attention. If that makes any sense. Yeah, so the, Absolutely. So, so the winning and the external validation mm-hmm. confirmed your worth to yourself when you weren't doing it for yourself. Correct. Correct. I don't think that I was ever swimming for myself, honestly. Right? So, you know, you swim because it's going to help your asthma. And then you swim because all your friends are doing it. You swim because your mom and dad are really proud of you. And then you swim because that's how you're going to go to college. There's no other way that you could go. It's an expectation. It is an expectation. And it just keeps getting exponentially bigger as you continue forward. So that's why I felt like a failure. And then... And I, I say this in my speeches and people gasp. It happened. I went back to my room after, you know, I had dinner and the massage and all the warming down and the Olympic coaches were all in my room. And I was like, well, that's weird. And the head coach basically told me, this is not your games. And so what we're going to do is we've got someone who could fill in for you and you can either stay here or we can get you home on a flight to Denver tomorrow. But if you stay here, we have to take your athlete badge. And you'll have to find a hotel and all the things. And I just remember being like, who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? Like, who are you? Wow. And I was like, listen, I got four more races. If I screw up again, we'll talk. So the next night was a relay and I had to swim the 100 free again. And not only did we get the gold medal, we broke the world record. And I went the fastest split that had ever been swum in history. So that was the big middle finger to them. It absolutely was. Don't tell me to go home. Tell you to go home. You right? Go. You are so feisty. I love it. Girl, I am feisty. I've always been feisty, and I don't know what it is, right? But that's I, that human spirit. It's that something in you. It's always yeah. part of you. Sure, but I think that it can be a little off putting at times. You know, and especially, I think now that I'm in a chair, it's different, you know, because people are like, oh, you know, cute little Amy in the wheelchair, you know, being fiery. But I think when I was standing and I was six feet tall wearing five to six inch stiletto heels, that looks a little different. 
intimidating. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. But that's, I mean, that's part of your personality. It's who you are. And people just don't seem to understand that. And and coming from where you've come from, just in this conversation so far, it's the self-love and self-care issues. You know, when you're trying to impress other people in order to be loved by everybody and you forget about self. Yeah. And now you realize what that is all about because you can see that it's part of your personality. Sure. And I almost wonder too, like if back in the day I was using it as like, keep away from me. I don't want people to get close, you know, cause I've got a very small circle. I think we all do, yeah. you know, they mm-hmm. say that as you get older, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it was more to keep people away. You're like, I don't really want you to get to know me. Why? I don't want to be hurt. Nah, be- because, you want, because you wanted them to see the image that you'd created, yes. not who you really were. Correct. It, because if they don't like the image of me, well, that's okay. That's not me. Right. But if they don't like me, then that really hurts. Yeah. You know? Of course, you grow out of that as you get older, but a well, little bit. Well, I, <laughs> a little my, bit. A little bit. my question. <laughs> Did you before the accident? Did you grow out of it before the accident? No. Absolutely not. Did the accident force you out of it? Yes. 1,000%. For sure. The accident forced a lot of things with me. And I really, when I say this, people also think it's strange, but Kirk, maybe you'll understand when I say it. Sure. The accident made me a better person. You know, I remember distinctly, there was one time where I was shopping and I opened the door for this gentleman and he didn't even look at me. He didn't give me a head bob. He didn't grunt or flip me off. And I remember in true Amy back then fashion, I said, you're welcome, your Royal Highness. And next time I'll roll out the red carpet for you. Well, then I get injured and I'm in a nine hour surgery and all my friends and family are saying that my husband was in a corner in a fetal position rocking. So like if he had to use the men's room and someone opened the door for him, he wouldn't have had the ability to look at someone, to head bob, to grunt, to flip them off. So now I go back and go, what was that man going through that he couldn't do that? So I look at the world a little differently. And yes, you're right. It was that. A lot differently, though. Yeah, because because I always say to myself or think, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not grateful that I got cancer. Because sometimes I get that question, right? Sure. I remember getting that question years ago and being really offended by it. Yeah. But I think the real ask of that question is, am I happy, or the way I take it now, am I happy with the lessons that cancer taught me? And the answer is yes. Mm. Because I always say, you know, and you probably, I don't know if you experienced this in the same way I did, because I had a six-month look at my mortality. Okay. But you had that sudden... Yeah. Boom, there it was, right? Yours was like out of nowhere kind of thing, right? Right. And mine was this long kind of journey and decision, like we were talking off the air about, do I go through chemotherapy? Do I make the change? Do I want to keep living, right? Right. And, you know, we talked a little bit off the air, too, about that that idea, that idea of you wanting to, because because your image, the one you had of yourself, your shell was gone, you know? You weren't going to be... The swimmer, the Olympian, the the stud, the 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 badass, not in the same way, right? Exactly. Right? And then at that time, tell me about, tell us about what was going on when you're coming to the realization about what your world is going to be, Oof. what your world has become. Wow, that's a great question. It took a while, you know. Um, I think just the fact that I was alive while I was in ICU for those three weeks, I think kind of carried me through, right? Because when I went into surgery, after I said goodbye to my husband, um, we go in and there were, it was quiet. 
and everyone had waders on, but there was a group of like, I want to say four or five people up against a wall and they all had igloo coolers. Well, I was on pain meds. So, you know, I couldn't sit up, obviously, you know, back's Mm -hmm. broken, but I lifted up my head and I was like, yeah, it's a party, BYOB. Well, they were there for my organs, right? So you go through that. And so that kind of carried me through the ICU moment. But I do remember that when I got to Craig Hospital in Colorado and my parents were there, the husband was there, and they got me in the wheelchair for the first time and we were doing some rehab stuff. And what a lot of people don't know, and I didn't know this before my injury, everything belly button down is now paralyzed. And here I am, a 41-year-old woman, and I have just pooped my pants in front of tons of people. And I was like, is this what I'm going to have to deal with forever? And yeah, you do. You you know, things get better and Mm -hmm. what have you. But yes, that was the moment. And I also remember I was too weak and in so much pain that... I couldn't get into a shower chair. I, they had to do one that was laying down okay. and it took three people to give me a shower. And I just remember thinking like, this is mortifying. And what makes it even more mortifying was that I was supposed to get a wax two days before my accident and I postponed. Always get your wax because you never know when someone's going to be in your undercarriage. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you. I love the twist of humor there. But you have, you know what I mean? Like you have to laugh. So, you yeah. have to laugh at it because it's so awful. And yeah. people are in your, I mean, people are doing things to you that are, it's just not normal. Right. And you're having a conversation with them while they're, you're, and again, you think about like, this is my new life. This is crazy. So you have to chuckle at it. Otherwise you're going to go nuts. Could you at the time though? Yes. At the time I could. Wow. At the time I could. I was with, I'm going to tell you what, my support system was so awesome and still is. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's why I could laugh at it. But I've always had a good sense of humor, a sick sense of humor, a dry sense of humor. You know, I can laugh at some things that really are not appropriate to laugh at. Um, But that's, I guess, how I cope. Right. And we were just talking about, like, I'm studying for the LSAT. Can you imagine me being a prosecutor and being like, so here's the (laughs) murder scene. <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't work. I don't out think so it would well. go over well with a jury. Might so, make yeah. a might make a good great. sitcom, but probably could be a great not. defense attorney. Pro- what? Well, no, you, you. I'm just teasing. Oh, I'm just teasing. Well. I'm teasing. Oh, dump bump. We need Robin, a soundboard for Robin, that one, Robin. Robin. That was spectacular. Yeah, except you get uh, in trouble with the judge all the time when you open your mouth, right? <gasps> Robin, Robin. Exactly. The, sarca- the sarcasm. I mean, come on. Right? Think about it. Exactly. As a defense attorney, you have. I think you have a little bit more leeway to do that right do you well maybe maybe I not i do remember one time no i'll tell you i won't say this word <laughs> <laughs> well i know certain I'll prosecutors you, I'll tell you who do. off the air i've i've, <laughs> I've quoted you know and amy was telling me she's a true crime fan and i've quoted so many many things and I almost gave a judge if it's a quote I'll say it. You can quote it. Oh, sure. okay. Yeah. I'll say so, it. Sort of like the- Amy would probably laugh at some of the things I've had to say I'm with sure. a straight face. Well, when you were when you were cross-exam or pardon me, it was direct with with Miss Arias. I, I mean, there were moments where I'm like, "How in God's name are you not just falling out laughing?" Because I'm watching at home, going, "Oh my God, how do you?" How do you keep a straight face? Well, That's hard, it? it's right? It's terrible. Some of the things that that woman was doing with her little camera and her little pigtails, God bless America. <laughs> I used what? to wear pigtails until I watched that trial, Kirk, <laughs> and now I don't do it anymore. <laughs> Offensive. <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen on these shows, do we? You, we See? You don't know. We just go off on all you kinds of know. tangents. 
<laughs> but you know, speaking of something a little dark. Yes, please. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> we were talking about this before we uh, lit the match and started the show. You said that you died a couple times. Uh-huh. So let's kind of go there. I, I'm, I'm really curious about this because I have yeah. friends who have had the NDEs. We've had someone on this show before that experienced that, who's a very well-known speaker, Jeff Olson. And I like to talk sometimes about the spiritual side of things. So if you guys are okay, can we go in that area for a little while? I'm fine. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Yeah. So All talk right. to us about that. So I died. No. <laughs> um, you know, in the accident, I don't remember. I remember like standing up and pushing in my chair, and I'm thankful that that's all I remember. I've got friends that remember their accidents. But what people were saying was I, you know, hit the curb, went over the six-foot cliff, and when my husband looked down, he could see that I was face down and my back was broken, right? So he runs down. And he sees I'm not breathing. So he rolls me over and thank goodness he just lifted up my neck. He didn't start compressions or else I wouldn't be here. Um, And he said that I started convulsing and my eyes went two different directions. But I remember, I don't remember the accident, but I do remember thinking to myself, this is a really weird time to feel okay. If that makes any sense. I remember knowing that I should be scared not being scared, knowing I was going to be taken care of. And then there was a moment. I love color. If you looked at my house when I was single, it was murals of like, you know, red drapes in, walking downstairs into the night sky and loved colors. It was all like, it looked like Austin Power shag pad, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. So when, when this all happened, and it had to have been when I passed, right, I saw all the colors. Like all, green started first. Um, and then it went into like, you know, the purples and the blues and it was very bright. I was very confined and normally I would not feel comfortable in a confined spot. I remember being warm. I remember feeling at peace, but the brightness was just freaky, you know, and I just, the calm. And the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm in the trauma center and they're like, you got to say goodbye to your husband. But I just remember everything was calm. Everything was peaceful. It was really beautiful. I didn't see, like, it wasn't, quote-unquote, the tunnel leading to a light. It was a tunnel, up, if, you, if you could call it that, because I couldn't really tell, but I was con- almost like a bubble of bright light and kindness and love. No, I don't know. I never saw anybody, so... Probably because you weren't ready yet. I probably wasn't ready. Because I remember when my little brother was passing, he saw the tooth fairy. Oh, wow. Right, so the tooth fairy came to get him. Um, and I didn't have a tooth fairy, so I don't know. And you're right. I maybe wasn't ready. Maybe I did have a conversation that I don't remember. I don't know. Okay, I have to ask the question that any skeptic listening is going to ask. How do you know you were dead? Uh, I know that I was dead because my husband uh, felt my pulse. I had no okay. pulse. I was getting colder, right? And obviously in the operating room, and I have it on my arm right here. Yeah. Right here. I'll take this off. The so EKG? I, yeah, I've got, and this is the last time that it got wonky when I, one of the times okay. I passed. And then it goes into my normal sinus rhythm. And I okay. did that on purpose. So in the hospital, we knew because the EKG, okay. right? Husband knew because he's like, there's no pulse. She's not breathing. This is not right. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I know I died. Because otherwise you would go, oh, well, it was your neurons firing yeah. and bet, 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 Right? Right. Even my brother. So my brother's got uh, two PhDs, one in evolutionary biology, one in mathematics. And even he was like, ooh, that kind of sounds like maybe something happened. And then as soon as I I came to, I grew up in a religious home. I went to a religious elementary school. But, you know, after my brother passed, um, he was three, I was five, and we stopped going to church. 
And as soon as I got out of that hospital, first thing I did, started going to church again. And I don't know what that was. I didn't feel like I had to. I feel like I wanted to. It's really, right? So I don't know. A renewed connection? Yeah, a renewed connection. Or maybe I was like, you know, when you, that happens to you, you're like, listen, my life is not going the direction that I wanted it to go. Like, let's back up that truck and start it again and see what we can do. You feel like it was that moment there before you got to the hospital where, you decide, where your life really changed? Great question. I Is think, that the, the fulcrum point, I guess? I think it would have to be, right? But I don't know if I realized it in that moment. I remember, two people were freaking out because as soon as I got out of ICU and I went up to the main floor for two days, but, you know, people are so lovely, and I had so many balloons and flowers and yeah. things that couldn't fit in my room. So I started handing them out to the ICU patients. And people were like, what? This woman is weird. And I'm like, yeah, but I, it's not, you know, you got to share the wealth. I don't know. It was weird. Things just changed. Right? Did things change with you? Well, what do you I, I want to explore that a little bit because Objection, just, Your Honor. <laughs> things, just cha- things just change is a, is a way to gloss over the depth of what you went through, I think. Of course it is. Sure. And so let's go there. Maybe do you know this from experience, Mr. Nermy? Well, I think a little bit, yeah. yeah. I think we all do. But but your experience is is different than mine. And, you know, what happened? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, and and the question is, we go back to what you were talking about, about validation, what you saw in the mirror when you were a swimmer and you were a teenager and you were top of your game and you were getting all your validation from it, right? Yes. And then at some point in time, you're out of the hospital, you're settling into your new life, and you look in that mirror again. Yeah. What do you see then? Oh, God. Oh, you're going to make me cry. I don't emote. Don't make me emote. Um, we usually have clinics here at Get Real. Okay, you should, good. You should I have do. Known it, I have you know, the box. This, this kind of, this kind of stuff happens. It's a good question, right? So, well, yeah, looking in the mirror the first time, I saw a broken human. Thank you, Robin. I saw a broken human, right? And all of my vulnerabilities were out there. Like, I couldn't hide it anymore, which is really, really and, weird. And what did that feel like? Awful. It hurt. Like, it really did hurt. And it hurt knowing that this persona, this Amy Van Dyken that I had built up, you know, for so long is now gone. Like, she's not gone, but she's not in the forefront. Because now when people see me, example, I would walk into the Roaring Fork, you know, right over here. And, you know, looked very different. And I would get stares. Well, now I go into the Roaring Fork and I still get stares. But they're different stares. Instead of being like, ooh, who is that? Or she was cute. It's, look at that poor girl. Should I scooch my chair in? Do you think she needs help? So that tough Hmm. persona was now gone. So now I have to be myself. And I have to be myself in front of humans, which is really weird. And you have to be more human. Correct. Yes. And, and, I, yeah. and that's to the good, though, isn't it? Oh, of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. But, you know, I mean, when you're in the Olympic, in any sport, too, I mean, you could say, you get turned into, quote, unquote, a robot. Yeah. You know, wake up, swim, eat, nap, lift, swim. You know what I mean? And then when that's taken away, you're like, well, how do I, how do I live? Like, how do I human? Yeah. It's like your identity is taken away from you, even though it really wasn't your identity. It's what everybody imposed upon you as your identity. Or I imposed upon them at some point. Uh, yeah, that too. Points, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that, you wore the suit. Shield. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons I really thought it would be great to, to have you on the show is to talk about that, because we all do that to a certain extent. Don't we do. We? 
right? We do. We all hide behind, you know, when I left the practice of law and I started coaching lawyers because I knew there was a lot of stress, a lot of substance abuse, things like that. Mm. One of the things I constantly heard in one way or another was a connection to that identity. Well, and, and even really in some of the same things that you said, like you could walk into a bar and say to a pretty girl that I'm a lawyer or you or your parents would be proud of you because you're a lawyer. That's a big one. Yeah. Or, you know, you've got a fancy car because you're a lawyer, whatever it is. Mm. Right. The material, you know, yeah. ramifications of that sort of success. And no. And the misery comes and they're miserable at the same time, right? And they can't detach from that identity yeah. to make the change towards happy. Now, I'm guessing, as backwards as it might seem, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you're probably a happier person now than oh, you were back then. A thousand percent. Isn't that yeah. strange? And I know you yeah. know what we're talking yeah. about because you went through the same yeah. thing, right? Like, well, we all do yeah. to mm -hmm. an extent. But yeah, you do become happier because it's like all of a sudden you're like, I don't, I don't have to like pull out those pieces of gold to show everybody, right? I can show everybody that I can do a wheelie and turn around. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or you can be you. Or you or, don't have to impress anybody. No. And I think that's another thing too. And through the brain injury, you know, I, I've always said I had no filter. It got worse. So I really have no filter. So now it really is me coming out. Whereas before I could kind of hide it back, right? And have the persona talking, not real Amy. And now there's really no choice. Because what I think, we don't have that thing that stops it anymore. It yeah. just comes right out. <laughs> but that's okay because there's enough fake in this world yeah. and we need more real. And I love the fact that you're so real about it because, you know, watching you do interviews and I did my homework and I've, and I've watched you for years. So looking at you and the stories and everything that has happened to you, the fact that you are so real, raw and passionate. I mean, your videos, your little videos that you do all the time, you get pissed off. You talk about issues that are affecting disabled people. You're like, if I can't get up this ramp in my chair, who else can? You know, we need to do something about that. You're an outspoken advocate for a lot of people who are just too afraid to speak up. And the fact that you don't have a filter, I think, is a wonderful thing because it lets people see, look, stop ignoring this. Yeah. You know, right. you need to wake up and pay attention. We're all human beings. It doesn't matter race, color, handicap, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're all human beings. For Christ's sake, do something about it. And that's right. just watching some of your videos in the past. I crack up. Because, you know, just like <laughs> you, you, you get fired up and I've never, I've never seen somebody really put it out there in that form that really says it like it is and makes a difference. Because, again, you're coming from that image of I have to be that Olympic athlete that has to be this way and I can't say certain things because of what I've been told. I get that being a public figure. You know, I'm supposed to not speak certain things, but I do anyway. Yeah. I just have to learn how to take the verbiage to a different way so that I don't get in trouble. Correct. And you do it so passionately and so wonderfully that it's just like, wow, she's just a normal person. And she's talking about this shit that affects all of us. So that's that's what I think is very cool about it. So, you know, the fact that you don't have a filter, screw them. I think it's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. It is fun to do those little videos, right? The teachable moments. Yes. Um, and, it, you know, I get really personal with the disability. But, you know, some of the, the ones that I've posted, I'm like... The fact that I haven't been shot yet is really a testament to the people that I'm around. <laughs> you know, I mean, because there was one time where um, a guy pulls into it, like cuts me off and pulls into a handicap spot and he jumps out. 
and I was in a mood. I was, you know, and we get moods. Yeah. And I rolled down the window. I go, hey, excuse me, are you handicapped? He turns around and goes, no, why are you? And I rolled down my window even more because I put my wheelchair in the front seat. And I go, yeah, this is my wheelchair. He goes, oh, well, I'll just be a few minutes. I go, okay, cool, oh. awesome. So I made sure that I backed right in, right in back of his car, blocking nobody else. And I turned off my car and I reclined the seat. He goes, what are you doing? I go, it's fine. It'll, be, it'll just be a few minutes. <laughs> he got back in his car and we sat there for 45 minutes. Like a Mexican standoff. It really was. He won, but it was funny because when I pulled away, he parked in a real spot. You know, but that's one of the things like, why is your time more important than my time? It's not, you know, and I don't think here's the thing. I don't know because I didn't know that people don't understand why we have the handicap spots. Right. I want to, you know, point it out to people that the reason that we have them is not because they're closer. I don't need to be closer. I've got wheels. I have wheels will travel, but I need a bigger spot so that I can swing my door open and get my wheelchair out of my Camaro. You know, or if I'm driving the husband's truck, whatever it is, that's why it's there. And I have friends who have kids that are handicapped and they'll come out to their vans and they can't get their kid in the van because someone parked in the stripes. So, yeah, so that's what I want to do is teach what I didn't know and that I've learned. That's all we can do in the world, right, is, is be there to help other people dealing with things or not dealing with things and help them understand what we're going through. That's what we do. That's what you do here, right? That's yeah. I mean, that's what you guys are doing. So... It's pretty cool. It's yeah, I mean, it's, it's about being authentic. And I always believe that, like I said before we fired this up, is that <laughs> there's so much connection and so much, you know, the, the facts may be different, but the themes are so common. And, you know, before we started talking about, you know, um, disability, yeah. I was curious, like, there's people out there right now listening to this that probably wish they could pitch their identity without yeah. having to go through something that connected them to their mortality. Correct. My question to you is, what would you say to them? Mm. I would say you have to do it slowly, right? So you were talking about walking into a bar, right? So yeah. how about this? Don't go into a bar and put your Range Rover keys on the, count, uh, on the, on the right. bar and push them next to a, a cute girl. Like, let's start with that. Let's start with something simple. And, and then I think you can kind of progress. Like I tell people who are going through the accident, right? Smile one day. Smile once, one day. And see what happens. Yeah. And then try it again the next day. And then pretty soon you don't have to think about smiling once. And pretty soon it's all the time. Yeah. So I think if we can kind of practice it and slow roll it, right? Goals don't happen overnight. You didn't get your law degree overnight. Like we don't do anything overnight, right? Mm -hmm. Like it takes time. And sometimes we're going to take 10 steps forwards. And sometimes we're going to take 100 backwards. And that's kind of it. That's where you go. Well, forget this. I'm going to move on. No, 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 no. Because you're still going to move forward, but learn from the backwards. And I thought it was really cool, right? Like Tom Brady was talking about like, yeah, I didn't win, but it's not a loss. Like I didn't, I didn't yeah. lose because you learned something. I learned yeah. more from when I lost than any time I won. Mm -hmm. When you win, everything's easy, right? People are buying you drinks and buying you dinners and all the things. But when you lose that fourth place, that's when you really have to sit down and really get down and dirty with yourself. Isn't that weird to say fourth place is losing? Like, that's not cool. Yeah, and it's interesting weird. because mm -hmm. when, you, when you were talking there, it made me think about, you know, you talk about goals. Yeah. And I'm such a big fan of intentions instead of goals because I oh. think goals set us that we're a failure until we reach that goal. When we have the intention, we're always on the journey. Oh, that's so interesting. We're, okay. making, we're making steps towards it. Towards the journey. Yeah, towards the journey, towards being whatever you want to be. That's cool. But you still have to be patient. 
yeah, you have to be patient, loving towards yourself and sure. understand. But I think if you have a goal, your your failure, and that's one of our problems, right? Going back to what you said before, yeah. like that fourth place and the coach coming in and saying, you know, pack your bags because you're a failure if you don't reach that goal. But sure. you're really not a failure. We set ourselves up the way I see it. We set ourselves, cast ourselves as failures. Yeah. Too easily by having goals and not making them because then we're not there yet. You're so spot on. That's really interesting. How did you get to that? Like, how did you figure out that it was a journey and not like a goal that you're going towards? Well, look, I mean, a lot of people obviously have different positions towards it, but you know, because it's not, it's not about the achievement. It's about the journey and it's about the growth that happens along the journey. Like you say, you know, you can sit there and hold your gold medal up, right? Yeah. And that probably didn't mean as much as everything you went through and evolved through to get to that point, right? To make that gold medal. You're right. And so that intention of whatever it is you want to do, whether it's the gold medal or whether it's popping a wheelie in your wheelchair or learning how to deal with your new physicality and your new life, yeah. the intention grows instead of I'm going to have this goal because you're a failure and to do it. And we have that wow. failure mindset. And it sounds to me like you let go of that failure mindset, too, when, you, when your physicality changed. Oh, sure. Because every yeah. day is a great day that you can get out of bed. Yeah. You know? And, and not be in such pain that you have to call and cancel something. Yeah. You know? Which is cool. You're right. That's really neat. Well, yeah. I, I mean, learned something today. Can we do the, the more you know thing? I, really, I think that's really <laughs> yeah, cool. Sound effect, Robin. Well, I, can, I can put it in post. It's, <laughs> it's, just, it's, just a way, it's just a way of looking at things because we think about our society and how achievement or status oriented we are, right? Very much so, especially right? where we all live, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, when you go to bed at night or when you look in the mirror, you're not the gold medalist. No. You're Amy, right? Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I do that. You know, you deal with a certain level of fame or infamy or whatever, and then people have an image of you, and that's never really who you are, right? And, yeah. and then when we, we start tying goals to that or trying to adhere to that image, yeah. and then it just it, it doesn't work. We're not happy on the inside. We don't get to do the inside work because wow. keeping that shell out there is so much energy yes. that it doesn't force you to look back inward. And I think that's one of the things... You know, I reached a moment I was going to ask you, if you've reached this moment, it sounds like you have. Are you afraid to die? No. Yeah. No, not at all. How about you? No. No. Robin? Nope. I've had a lot of death in my life, and it's taught me how to appreciate every moment because I do know that we don't really die. We just change the energy and go someplace else. We leave the physical form, but the energy still stays, so it doesn't right. scare me. I, see, I love that. And, you know, it, it's cool to hear that from people, right? But... You know, when you have to really look at your own mortality, and I think, you know, when you do come close to death, or you do, whatever it was, you, you look at it, you go, it's not that bad. Yeah. Like, it's truly not. And then you realize it's not about the house, it's not about the car, it's not about the jewelry, it's not about, you know, the cute boy on your arm or girl on your arm, right? Like, it, it does kind of change you a little bit, which is spectacular. But I want to ask you, too, if you don't mind. No, please. This is something I always wanted to know. When you were, again, doing the trial, that, yes. the infamous trial, right. and people were hating on you for doing your job, like, how did that feel? Because it wasn't like one or two people were saying things. 
but it wasn't you that they were hating. It was the person you were working with, but they associated. But how? So how did you deal with that? Well, I think that what I would say then, and, and to a certain extent, it was true with the level I was at in terms of my own connection to myself, I guess, is that it was like a bunker mentality, right? It was like, you know, you're in the, you're in the bunker, put on the helmet, and you got to get through it. Because I was there by court order, not by choice. Right. 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 Yeah, and if you watch that, you know that it was court order, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Right. And um, so ultimately, and, and, you know, yeah, it was, there was, Luis, have you ever read the book, Luis Hay? You Can Heal Yourself? No, I haven't, but I've heard it's spectacular. Yeah. And I was introduced to that book years ago, and I never would have thought about it in this way until I was introduced to that book. So somebody introduces me to this book. It was part of my life coaching um, curriculum. And so naturally I go back to the back, back and there's a little glossary. It gives you all the diseases and, and uh, why, why they manifest in the physical form, mentally, emotionally, why they manifest in the physical form. And, I, of course, I went to cancer. Right. And the word following cancer was resentment. And I went, holy fuck. And I never wow. thought about it that way when I was going through it. And this was probably two years removed out of the chemo chair. This was probably 2017. And I thought about that and really had to, and I always talk about confronting yourself because yeah. we, it's easy to not challenge yourself because there's no growth there. You get to stay in your comfort zone, right? Yeah. So I really had to, and I said, resentment, that doesn't seem like me. That, no, no, no. And then I went back and I thought about it. I thought I was prevented from going into the private practice. I, I had a friend of mine that went, I went to law school with. We'd been friends for like 20 years. She was like, come, we'll do DUIs. You'll have a simpler life because I'd done death penalty work for a while now. Yeah. And that's when I was willing to leave that job behind a job that I loved coming out of law school to do that, to get away from death penalty work and get away from Miss areas. Right. And ultimately that wasn't what fate had in store for me. The judge said, no, you got to keep the case. And of course, keeping the case in that situation. And that was in 2011 mm-hmm. when I wanted to leave. So it was April, 2011 when I was ordered to keep the case. Mm-hmm. It was actually 2010 when I decided I was going to leave the public defender's office, but I didn't get off that case until April of 2015. That's when she was finally <sighs> sentenced because of the hung jury and all this stuff. Sure. People that follow the case know. So when that word resentment, and I really had, like I say, first I deflected it, no, no, no. Yeah. And then I started thinking about it. I think, yeah, you know, I didn't get to go where I wanted to go. My life was kind of hijacked by, by her and her case, yeah. et cetera. And that hijacking was for five years. And then the, you know, and then I, I'm stuck and I've got all these other issues. And my wife quits her job because we have a unique last name and her name is on a, on a school website as a teacher. And we're worried about her safety. And people had found out where my co-counsel's son went to grade school. No. I mean, yeah. So there's all that stuff going on. And I didn't think about it resentful because, you know, I was, it was kind of my duty, right? I mean, it was, uh, uh, as a defense attorney, you think you have a duty to the Constitution to protect the constitutional right. So at the time, it's like, I didn't want to do it. Bunker mentality. Here I go. You know, and like we talked off the air, you know, Dr. Drew talking about my weight loss and my, <laughs> and my purported hair plugs and all this right. stuff. Those and, hair and, plugs look good, by the way. And, right? and, they've lasted a while. Yeah, my wife finally stopped shaving my head. She won the battle. <laughs> 
<laughs> it, it began in Laramie, Wyoming, when I went to a barber whose hand was shaking and you know charged me twenty bucks, and I thought we're broke law students. I can't afford this. So he's a comedian to, now too. To Walmart, right? Let's go to Walmart and shave my shave my freaking head. Stop so it. we started doing that. I did that all through law school, and like most guys, yeah. we we stick with you it, say, right? right? Guys, guys yeah. just say fuck it. Yeah, you, you know, don't and care, that's it, right? Yeah. And uh, so I, I, she finally won. I let her, gr- I let her grow out, and I lost all the weight. And yeah. and yeah, but I mean, there were, you know, websites dedicated with the judge oh. to tell me to my ties and to my socks. And yeah, because I had Jerry Garcia ties and some wild yeah. socks and stuff. But yeah, you know, my weight. I was attacked for my weight. Attacked, you know, in this day and age too, like. You know, you you probably had it pretty differently in some ways because it wasn't maybe the social media era where people could reach out. I mean, I filed motions and they had to have my email address on there. So I could be threatened in real time from globally. Like, you know, you talked about coming to the trial. I could go up and make an argument or go up and do a cross-examination or whatever and sit down for a break. And there could be four or five threats on my phone or you dumbass, you fat ass, you blankety blank just because people could have that email address and it was available to the world. Well, I should apologize to you yeah. now then. I'm sorry about all those. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't send you. Oh, I didn't send you. Robin's mouth dropped. No, I did not. I Go did back not. Through. I did not. Hey, you know, I'm sitting. Amy's alias. You're right. Uh, I'm sitting here listening to this because before we went on the air, we had this conversation about you, Amy, that you actually had death threats. I did. I'm, yeah. I'm dumbfounded when I hear that. I think really anybody who gets into the public eye will have them at some point because you're going to upset somebody. You know, I mean, Michael Phelps was talking about it, too. Like, you know, people were mad at him for not repeating when he went, you know, it's like, come on, you know, enough is enough. And I think that social media right now is just really it's tough when you're in the public eye. And I am thankful I was before social media for sure. There's no way I could deal with it. And, you know, that's one of the things that people have to understand is we did everything that the kids nowadays are doing, but we didn't have I mean, you, you had a roll of film and half the time it was like a blurry picture of something. We didn't have that. Right. So I don't know. It's just so interesting things that are happening now. But yeah, I got death threats for sure. But they came Western Union. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I got Western Union. Te- I am old. I, well, I got them. I got them through the mail. I didn't get Western Union. Oh, but I got sugar. Them through the mail. Yeah. Wow. Old mail and then on social media and everything else. So, okay, so here's here's something because, you know, like people are kind of going through not exactly the same thing. They're not, you know, having to defend a crazy person, but they wake up every day and they look in the mirror and they have this resentment because they're going to this job that they absolutely hate. Right. Maybe they're in a marriage that they're not happy Mm -hmm. with. Maybe their kids are jerks to them or whatever it is. How would you suggest someone like that get through it? Because you went through the worst that I would say any human being could maybe go through. Well, I, I don't know about that, well, but it was I tell you, bad. I, I tell you, it's pretty bad. Um, I always start with the the question and and a confrontation because I always talk about this in in my book. Are you happy? Now I say confrontation because it's real easy. So if I were yeah. to ask this to you, I bet you if I were to ask this to you for before your accident. You would have said yes. Oh, yes, I've got six medals. I've got a hunky football player husband. I've got all this stuff, right? I'm happy. Sure. Well, maybe it wasn't true. Maybe it wasn't completely true. Maybe to some extent. But so what I did is I, at that, you know, in my late 40s, when cancer entered my life, that's when I confronted myself with that question. Because one of the things we do, and I think you probably did this as well, a lot of people that reach a level of success do is they don't 
they assume they're happy mm. instead of confronting themselves with their happiness. Yes. Because I had wanted to be, so you talked about swimming since six, right? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I connected to a book called She Wants to Be a Lawyer when I was about in grade school at okay. some point in time. Mm-hmm. And it was this picture book, complete bullshit. But, you know, everybody's happy <laughs> practicing law and she's home to cook dinner for her kids. Oh, that's a stuff. nice law practice. And it, sure. hap- it always happens like that because yeah. clients are always happy. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. There's no blood. <laughs> there's no autopsy photos. It's just this cute little thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but so I, con- I connected to that. And then ultimately, I was living that as a public defender. Yeah. And then... And then, you know, successful as, as a death penalty lawyer and that sort of thing, right? A lot of lawyers would have been jealous, at least, of the publicity I was getting, even though it was negative, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. But so I had to start breaking that assumption because so many times we assume that we're happy because we've reached a level of achievement in a field we want to do. So spot on. And it could be like 19 years old, you've got a crush on a girl, so you decide you're going to become an accountant because she's taking accounting classes. And then... 25 years later you don't remember that girl's name and you're an accountant and you're a successful accountant so you assume you're happy because you wanted to be an accountant when you're 19. Well one thing and I, and I Wayne Dyer says this would you take career advice from a 19 year old right? right but you still are if you're still li- if you're still living that yeah and so you know I think about conf- confronting yourself with that question because and breaking it down like for me I broke it down was I happy in my personal life my marriage and the answer was yes i was married over well, it was 28 years now because i'm old as shit we all may be around the same age i don't know yeah. how it might be younger no but. no no. we're all about the same we age are? okay yeah. are you, girl i need to get whatever your facial <laughs> regimen is sorry uh, i can tell you <laughs> i'll tell you real quick what that's yeah. called that's called d-i-v-o-r-c he being single and being happy away from a toxic marriage that's what this is there you go yeah. see so yeah being happy yeah. I being li- happy being it happy. all goes right back you're to that right. yeah yes yeah you're right because you yeah. are emoting something yeah. different than yeah. what i saw when right. i saw you at trial well yeah i mean it's it's, well, it's different I'm, circumstances much different but, of course it is you're not working yeah i'm not doing working the th- doing the thing yeah. but but so you confront yourself i confronted myself with my personal life yeah uh my career and just overall life just you know and the career was the part that I couldn't say no to, that I couldn't say yes to, rather. I had to say no to that. And that was a, that was a weird feeling because it was something I connected to. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you, we're never going to be able to know this, but like, were you happy as a swimmer? Oh, gosh, no. Probably no, right? No. Okay. But at the time, you probably would have said yes, because you're up there on the mm. Wheaties box with this, you know, because you've right. reset. So what I would tell people is that that happiness is more valuable than whatever tangible asset that you're getting outside of that happiness. Okay. So if you're not happy and yeah. you're on a Wheaties box, being happy is a fuck of a lot better than being on a Wheaties box, right? It absolutely is, right. yeah. And people don't value happiness enough. You're right. And I, and I go back to, you know, I had a, a friend of mine who was an engineer. Okay. We talked about engineers. And he was, you know, successful. He'd been in the military, he worked at Boeing, and he, and he had one of those retirement clocks, right? You've seen those retirement yes, clocks countdown. Yes. His was for a long time. Well, his big deal was he was just running out the clock, he was going to retire, and he was going to go off. Yeah, you know where this is going. He goes on a bucket list motorcycle trip, buys a new helmet, it's a little loose, he takes it off, and he gets killed in a, on, oh, on the freeway. Oh, my God. I'm so six, sorry. Six months out, Right of his retirement mm. out of this bliss. And the point is, you, we keep living for someday and not today, 
and and not really yeah. deciding that, that that happiness is something that we deserve now because we're conditioned right to say mm-hmm. that's why I talk about right. goals right no pain no gain that oh, kind of yes. that kind of bullshit right yeah. and and we're conditioned that that success is a matter of sacrifice and not just a matter of birthright of 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 happiness of that you know inherent happiness yeah that we're born with and then we're conditioned out of. Which is so interesting, right? And children are always one of those, they always say what they think and we're conditioned out of that. Yes. Because we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. Right. Right. But instead, you're going to keep it inside and give yourself an ulcer. Yes. Isn't that crazy that we're conditioned from a very young age to be that way? Yeah. Instead, we should be encouraging our children to be more open and be more communicative. Yes. And not so. I mean, there's a certain line, as we talked about earlier, about being cautious about how we say things. Right, right. So we don't inflict any hurt coming from a good place. Yeah. But we should never shush a child when they're talking. And that's what happened to me when I was young. You know, I never had that voice with my parents and then being raped at 17 and going home, my dad saying I deserved it, my mom doing nothing. I was so super silenced for so many years and I never realized the physical ramifications of that. Not only was I emotionally fucked up and making mistakes in my life, but the physical parts that were, I mean, it's like Kirk was talking about with the cancer. Those things kind of become part of you. Even in my last toxic marriage, the verbal abuse was so bad from him and it took me right back to that place with my parents having no voice. Right. And I would find myself, every time he would come home from work at night, I would have coughing fits being in his presence. We went to the doctor for over a year. They kept telling me maybe it's asthma, maybe it's valley fever, maybe it's this, that, and the other thing, but they could never figure out what was going on with me. Oh my God. And as soon as he would leave in the morning, it was like that dark negative cloud was gone. And I was at the house working on the business all day. And it was just, it felt wonderful to have that clean, fresh air again. And the second that our marriage ended and he left the house for good, I could breathe again. And I've never had those coughing fits. And it it sunk into me after, you know, a few months out of the marriage when I sat back and go, what's wrong with you? You're not coughing anymore. You're not, you're not hacking at night for like a half an hour, hacking up a lung. I don't smoke, never have. So what the hell was the problem? And it really hit home with me when I started to do that self inner work, like Kirk was talking about, you get to that point where you finally start looking at it and you can figure things out. What is different? And that's what was different was my air had been clear. I finally got to speak up and say, you know, I'm going to lose a house. I'm going to lose a a lucrative business. I'm going to put all my stuff in storage and start over again at 48. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this because I've got, I lost everything, but I found me. And that's, Mm. it's hard because I think a lot of times in life, we don't get to that point till we hit our mid forties, late forties, early fifties, when we start realizing it. And even being around all these young kids that I work with here at the studio in their twenties, they're actually soaking up what we talk about because they're understanding, look, if you get ahead of the game and you understand these things, yes, you can actually position yourself in a better place than any of us who had to go through all that shit and learn the hardest lessons. You can actually pay attention to when those things are happening, pay attention to the red flags, get away from them quicker. Yeah. And the biggest thing, self-care and self-love, we don't teach that. We don't talk about that. And as a parent, 
I've always believed that you have to instill that in your child to some degree, and they're going to make mistakes and screw up and learn what it's like to find disappointment in life. But yeah. if, if you give them the basic building blocks, if you listen to them and not shush them up, give them that voice and that space, then as they go into adulthood, they have a foothold in the world a lot better than most of us did back in the day. Even though we, we, didn't have, we may not have had the greatest childhoods, but we did pretty good coming out of it being an adult because once we hit that certain age, it's our responsibility to get our shit together. No yeah. matter what's happened in the past, we can't lay blame from that past for the rest of our lives. We have to get out of that victimhood. And we talk about that often on this show yeah. is your, your mindset plays an important part of it. And even with you, you know, going through that as a young girl, being told, I have to do this for my country, mm-hmm. I can't fail. That's a hell of a lot to take on. And then, you know, seeing you go through your physical struggles after your accident, it, it's like mind blowing to me to be where you are and the things that you're capable of doing and your outspokenness about everything. It's just, it's a beautiful thing to see that because I almost feel like they put you in that box. Yeah. From such a young age. And when you became that adult, you're just like, screw you. This is me. Yeah. Accept me for who I am. Yeah. You, now, here's the thing, too. And, you know, I don't want to say that you're, you're, that you're, the rape was meant to happen. But do you think, do you guys think that things happen in your life that are supposed to happen to redirect you or to direct you in a certain way? I do. I believe in soul agreements. I believe that, yeah. you know, we're, we're meant to come here in the human form. And this has taken me a long time to learn this, too. You know, just in the last five years, I've become more aware of it. But I do believe this is our school. This is our college of knowledge. We yeah. have to come here and we agree to these things. And that's, that's the thing that gets me sometimes. I will sit back and go, I agreed to this shit before I came here? Really? And, I mean, you, you question that all the time. Yeah. But it, it's the experiences that make you who you are. It sucks that we look back and say, yeah, this is what I was supposed to do. This is what I agreed to do. But when you get to that point in your adulthood and you finally get over it, so to speak, or get past it, right. you're just like, you know what? That happened a long time ago. I'm, I'm so done with that shit. Let's just move on and live life and be happy. Like Kirk always talks about, that's, that's the number one key in life. You have to do things for yourself that make you happy. And if that means disassociating with people, that are just toxic, that are energy draining, even if they're family members, we're taught that we have to be there for family. And I take care of an 81-year-old mom who I don't really have a bond with, but I'm in that position because no one else is there and she's not capable. So I have to separate myself. Sure. And I have to, coming here is is a blessing, coming to work because I get to meet other people and I get to be in my sanctuary. But when I'm home, I have to separate. My room is my apartment. I have to separate because I can't be in that negative energy field in my place where I come home and go to bed. You have to really compartmentalize things then, which can be hard. I think that in and of itself is is a lot of work. It is, but you know, you, you get to a comfortable place with that. Okay. Because when... There's times where she will try to gaslight, and I have finally learned to recognize that because I went through 11 years with that with my last spouse, and seeing her fall into that same pattern, I had to stop myself from reacting and take a breath 
And I'm like, ah, that's what she's doing. She's, she's doing the same thing. She's trying to get on my nerves and then pull me down into her victim mentality and then blame me for, for fighting back to protect myself and defend myself. Mm-hmm. So you just have to, it, it's, you know, I'm a horror movie fan. I don't know if you are. Yes. Go back to Nightmare on Elm Street. Go back to Nightmare on Elm Street. This is the perfect way to say this, right? Um, the scene where Nancy, it's a Nightmare on Elm Street, the yes. original. Yes. Nancy brings Freddie out of the dream. Right. She realizes that she gives him power. So she decides to turn her back on Freddy Krueger. And she takes his power away. And she says that, I am not giving you the power anymore. She turns away and then he tries to claw her and he disappears. Yep. That's exactly what we need to do in life. That whole turn the other cheek, as stupid as that thing sounded when we were kids, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. When you're in that position of action, reaction, 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 it gets worse. So you have to just stop yourself after that person has the action, mm. take a breath, don't react. And if it's a negative, turn it into a positive by just walking away. And the last time she tried to gaslight me, I just told her, I said, you can't blame me for what happened in your life before I was born. I wasn't there. You had the opportunity to make the changes. So from this point moving forward, I am done. Mm-hmm. I turn around and I walked away and I left the house. Because you, you can't feed the negative energy. It's toxic. And yeah. It's part of the mindset. And it builds bigger than you could have ever expected, and you can't stop it. Kirk is very afraid of me at this moment. We've been talking about true crime. I'm a horror film buff. (laughs) No, I just, I I don't get the horror movie. I don't get the horror movie. Well, because you saw it in real life, though. Yeah, and, you know, I grew up. (laughs) I love them so much. (laughs) I love them so much. You love the horror movies. I do. Yeah. Well, you know, I love them. Yeah. I don't. You don't. don't. Do you not like to be scared? You just think they're stupid? You think, like, What's the feeling? Just I, I just don't. I just don't find them entertaining. Okay. You know, I liked um, the the thrillers, like the Hitchcock and the Agatha Christie things, like that. Right. Okay. Just the hacking, the the Freddy Kruegers and the Jasons and all. No, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't no. get it. Well, okay. wait. I don't get it. Wait a second, because you're acting now. So th- this <clears throat> this is how I learned to love mm-hmm. horror movies. Is being an actor. I've done so many movies. I've probably been killed a dozen times. <laughs> I've been shot, stabbed. Um, you name it. I've been. I've had my head severed. I've. Oh, it is so much you. fun, and that's the cool thing about when you work in these movies. I started that when I was a young kid. So you know, seventeen, eighteen was one of my first horror movies. So it never it never scared me enough. To freak out during a horror movie because once you learn how they're made, it's kind of like, oh, that's pretty damn cool. That's a cool little thing that they just did. But it's it's not about being scared. It's just a matter of like, why? yeah, it's not entertaining. Why? why? But yeah. when but when you're on a horror movie set, well, I I, I, I don't imagine that I will be. I don't, I don't know, know what size check that would take to get me on the set. <laughs> you could play a lawyer in a movie that gets shot and killed, which, uh, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, you never know. You're just starting your acting career. You never know what's going to come your way. That's right. Wow. That's really fun. It is. That's a fun journey to take. It's it's different, but but it's not. Because aren't you acting every time you're in front of a a judge or no? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, this whole acting career, and Robin's been to my one-man show (gasps) a couple times. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And one of my jokes in my one-man show is that if people believe that I believe Jodi Ayers' story, then I must have some untapped Meryl Streep-level acting ability. (laughs) And then... (laughs) 
<laughs> then I've been around a couple of actors that did some interviews. And I went, well, shit, I can do this. They can do this. I can do this. There's no reason I can't write in, yeah. which is, I think, one of the reasons we think we can't do things is that we're told that we can't of do course. things. Of course. So that's where we go back to what we're saying in our childhood, right? You know, And a, a friend of mine says, well, I got this. I know this friend, and she's gone to acting school, and she's not getting near the work you do. I said, yeah, because in acting school, they told her she couldn't, that it wouldn't be easy, right? Right. So, um, well, so you it, do it, have it, a big name. I mean, that kind of yeah, helps. Agreed yeah. with that. That yeah. kind of well, helps. Depends. I mean, why do you think you're on the show? I'm just teasing. Oh, sugar. I'm just teasing. <laughs> wow. No, he knows. That, he that knows. I abuse. He, I haven't seen her for a couple months, so there's all this pent up <laughs> no, abuse. He, he he knows. I I adore him. Wow. I actually he was the first one that started this show with me. My I, very first show. I feel like we just saw a shit sandwich like right in front of us, <laughs> wow. right there. That's all right. I no, I'm just teasing it. You're all nice, and then wham, and then nice no. again. No, that's no, that's no, the Scorpio, no, that's, you know. It's just uh, yeah. he, it, we haven't done a show in a while, so that's, it's just kind of fun. I love yeah. that. I love yeah. it. It's a it's a good. You can tell it's a good relationship. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, just I adore him. I would never slam him, but it's right. nice. It's nice to have the hashtag Kirk Nermy. I mean, yeah. I, I'm only Rock and Robin. I'm no Kirk Nermy. You, you, so you know what though. I, I, t- I, I tell you what, and, and Amy, Amy probably gets this as well. It goes back to what we're saying, you know, external versus internal validation. Yeah. Like, you know, to some people, I remember when it, when I, you know, this, <laughs> this is going to speak absolutely contrary to the point I'm trying to make. But I remember when I went on Mel Robbins. Okay. Like, okay. What an asshole sentence, right? What a way to say a sentence. This. But so I'm on Mel Robbins and it was, you know, I was on with Rachel Dolezal who is the woman who, who portrayed herself as black to be an in, in, right. uh, ACP leader right. in Spokane, right? Yeah. She was on first, so oh, which, is, which is not a good warm-up because she was fighting with Mel the whole freaking <laughs> half hour, 45 minutes. And I'm in the green room going, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, because she's going to come out back, right? And, and she, said, she said, you know, because I talked about fame and the infamy and things like that, right? Yeah. And... You know, I get. I don't get it as much anymore. But like, you know, people. You know, people sometimes feel like they can touch you or they know you or something because they see you on TV, yes. right? And I would get that occasionally, and Mel would go like, "Well, you know, I don't. I don't know who. I, I, before this, I, did, I really didn't know who you were." Oh, and wow. I'm like, "Great, right?" Yeah. And so, and, and fame, and it really over the process of time, I realized like fame is in the eye of the beholder, right? It's not of something that I possess, right? It's not something that any of us possess, right? Even mm-hmm. those people might know each each one of us or think they do right correct. think they do right because yeah, they know the image they've created in their in their head yeah. right but so it's one of those things that's really you know my name might mean something to some people as yours would as yours would but it, it may mean absolutely nothing to, to other people as well and that's yeah. And that's to the good as far as I'm concerned. Oh, of course, because then you have a clean slate. Yeah. I always tell people, and they're like, well, I don't know who you are. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, because now we don't have to deal with that. Yeah. That's That's really cool. That's exactly right. You're treated as a human being, because part of that goes back to the shield or the image or what have you, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That people, you know, it's Amy Van Dyke and the the badass swimmer with her medals and blah, blah, blah. Sure. That's not really who you are at your core. No. Right? And, And one of the things that I thought was so great, one of the things... I've, I've learned throughout my process is that, and, and we fail to recognize this when we talk about happiness, like you existed before you were gold medals, before anybody knew who you were. Yeah. And you existed afterwards and you're going to continue. And that, sure. that thread of commonality is still there. And that's really who you are, not the Wheaties box or the medals or anything else or right. radio 
chose or whatever you've done, right? It yeah. Just, it, it, that's not who you are. That core exists throughout all our lives. Yeah. And what we don't seem to recognize is that the, I, what I think anyway is that we need to be happy in all those phases and all those different shapes of who we are, all that different evolution of who we are. Yeah. And going back to what you said earlier, you know, I believe that some of the pain points in our life can really be redirectors mm. as opposed mm. to, you know, we were talking about Sean Stevenson, and I've mentioned him before on the show. He had this great saying, and, and it's certainly not one he invented, but he says, things don't happen to me. They happen for, for me. me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. That's cool, because it's true. That's what yeah, I said sometimes it's, it's hard to swallow, right? When you talk mm-hmm. about an accident or a sexual assault or cancer or all these other bad things, right? Yeah. It's really hard. And, and, I, and I remember, you know, hearing about Sean being on life support and everything else mm. and talking to his wife. One of the th- last things he said before he went into surgery experience you had was telling his wife, this didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And how oh, powerful wow. that is. And to think about those things in our life that way. Yeah. Because then we can turn those things around and think about maybe something bad that happened that prevented us from something worse or, you know, who knows what, right? Yep. So listening to that, you know, connection um, that you have, and I'm wondering, you know, it's kind of going back a few minutes, but you talked about your your near-death experience Mm -hmm. or death experience, whatever Mm -hmm. term you want to use. How did that alter your relationship with, the universe or God or source or whatever you want to put onto it, having that contact. And how does that affect you every day moving forward since that moment? Great question. question. It's a big question. I have to think about that. Right. So I looked out the window because the answer's out there apparently. So I think, (laughs) you know, it, I've, my relationship with God, what I see as a higher power, we all have something different, right? right? Um, It's strengthened for sure. You know, I, I think I look at the world a little bit different now, you know, as opposed to being everything is so negative and blah, blah, blah. I really don't want to hear the negative now. Like, yeah. like you're talking about, be happy. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm thankful for the accident for giving me that because I think before that I was pretty negative. I would feed into the negative. It's like we were talking about with Robin, right? It starts as this little seed and then it just mm-hmm. grows yeah. like, if you will, a cancer. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that I have really kind of, all of that has changed. And I look at humans differently. You know, I, I look at them as inherently good, not inherently bad. Now, there are some that, let's be honest, are bad, but were they born that way? No, they weren't. Mm-hmm. Things happen and whatever. And I'm yeah. speaking to the king of this, right? Being a defense, a defense attorney. But um, I don't think that we're meant to be bad. I think that we're meant to be good. I think that we're meant to be here to learn from ourselves, from others. And I think we need to be open to that. And I don't think a lot of people are. So I feel that because of the accident, I am more open to learn things. You know, I had to learn things. All, I had to learn how to put on a pair of pants yeah. all over again. You know, I had to learn the simplest of things all over again. So it kind of does give you a different perspective. Yeah. Thank God they taught me to put my pants on. Just saying. <laughs> because yeah. we, we, we see people too often as their physical manifestations of themselves. Yes. Instead of 
who they really are. You know, I was, it was like what Wayne Dyer says. I'm a big fan, obviously. It was like, yeah, I like him. We're, we're, you know, spiritual beings having a human experience. And I think we look, you know, when you talk about your work with the disabled and advocating for the disabled, mm-hmm. and we even talk, when we talk about racism and sexism and all those things, it really, to me, goes back to the one common denominator of we don't look at each other as spiritual beings, as human beings. Right. That that exist apart from our, uh, our shell, our, you know, our weight, our height, whatever yeah. we put out there. Yeah, you you're know? absolutely right. Absolutely spot on. And it's really, it's, uh, it's sad because since I have been in the disabled community, and that took a while for me to learn to say that word, disabled, disabled, I'm disabled, I'm handicapped. But being in the community, I have met some of the most amazing people who just happen to have gotten into an accident. Or, you know, something happened to them and they're in this position. And yet we look at the disabled community as, oh, poor them. Oh, whatever. And maybe that's why I'm doing CrossFit. You know, who knows? You know, and competing with 20-year-olds when I'm nearly 50. You know, just because, you know, it's just such a cool thing. And I don't know. I want to show people that being disabled is not a bad word. It's truly not. Yeah. I get cool parking. (laughs) And driving there with hand controls are way faster than driving with your feet. I'm just saying. That's what I love about you. I know they retrofitted your, your they muscle car. Did They did. And actually, so if you know, I don't know if you, because it was a long time ago, my first one was black. And now yes. I've got my cute little blue one. So what ended up happening was the husband was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're in a wheelchair now. You need an SUV. So he brought, he got me a cute little SUV. It was, it was a mom car. Like I literally, and there's nothing wrong with a mom car, but it wasn't me. Right. right? And so what ended up happening was the warranty was getting up and he loves a good warranty. So I called a friend of mine who, you know, he is the manager of a Chevy dealership. And I said, Hey Matt, here's the deal. You got a blue one, black wheels, da, 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 da. And I said all the things he goes, yeah, I'll have it here next week. I'm like, great. We're on vacation. We'll be home next week. Like, babe, come with me. Drove the old mom car up there, and I was like, hey, I want you to meet my friend Matt. He's got my new car. You guys, see, see you later. And they did the deal, and I got, I got the car. But you, sometimes you've got to put your foot down. Yeah. You know, you, you don't get anything done unless you do. And don't treat me like I'm handicapped. Let, let me define who I am. Don't define me by the chair that I'm in. Yes, Jenny from the block. There you go. You can, take, you can take that tagline if it, you want. I will. And if I'm ever on the Housewives, I will use that one. Don't define me by the chair I'm in. That's correct. Because it's true. Don't mm-hmm. do it. You know, I mean, every time I get into a car, I do a one-armed pull-up, right? Mm-hmm. I want to see able-bodied people do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so we can do things that you able-bodied people cannot do. So now granted, you guys do a lot that we can't do. <laughs> but at the same time, you've got to look at the positives, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you got that right. You right? got you got to make do with what you got. That's you what do. it's all about. Yeah. But the fact that you drive a freaking Camaro, I mean, that's just right? that's just that's a phenomenal to me because you can't press the gas pedals or the brake pedals with right. your legs. Yeah. But here you are driving a badass car. Right. All six feet of me, like crumpled up in that car, trying not to accidentally hit the pedals, which has happened. <laughs> that's a mess. But yeah, it's so fun. And what's really cool is like when I run out somewhere where I don't need my chair. And so it's not there. I roll the windows down and it's just so cool. No one knows in that car unless I want them to that I'm handicapped. Nobody knows. They're just like, who is that crazy woman driving down Snotsdale Road like a crazy, you know, bat out of hell? 
Well, Let's be honest. I, you know, if I ever yeah, race you, God, I know a lot of cops. If yeah. I ever pull up side of you on the road, you're, you're racing, girl. You're going to be a little handicapped because my Mustang's <laughs> going to have more horsepower than your Camaro does. What, so. How many horsepower do you have? Three fifteen. 455. Are you shitting me? And 455 pounds of torque. Oh, so that's really what you need to okay, know. I'm, I'm sorry, Robin, but I should I'm have screwed. given you your moment. It's your show. Sorry. Damn. No, See, it's I do our that. I, show. I steal moments. I Damn. do that. Yeah, this moment has stealer. been the strangest episode to get real. It, we're talking. It's, just, it's great, though, because <laughs> you, just, you just don't know what's going to happen on this show. I love it. I and, love it. And the energy you came bouncing in here with today, <laughs> it was just like, you know, here, this is where I need to do the shout out because okay. I have to thank a mutual friend of ours for making this happen. Dr. Lisa Stroman, if yeah. you're listening to this show, thank you because she texted me that she was sitting next to you yep. and she felt you would be an amazing co-host. But and then I said to you, look, Kirk mentioned this to me almost a year ago. Yeah, you did. And here it goes. It's it's the universe bringing it full circle. Yeah. So thank you for putting that out there, Kirk. And thank you, Dr. Yeah. Lisa Stroman right? for that. I love it. I'm so thankful to be here and to be able to meet both of you. You know, Lisa speaks so highly of you and, you know, to have watched your journey has been, you know, just amazing. So some really cool people. I'm so thankful. So thank you guys very much. I do have one more question, though. Do you go mind for if it. I ask no, one go more for question? it. Go for it. Because, you know, I, I, being a lawyer has been something that I've wanted to do. So the question to you is, do people tell you if they did it or if they, or if they didn't do it? Because you can't tell anybody. Do they tell you? I wonder if I should answer this question or just like leave her hanging and, oh. you know, oh. see if she winds up peeling out of the parking lot in anger. Uh, <laughs> she's a, fuck that, Kirk Mary. <laughs> <He's, he's, laughs> I'm going to send you terrible emails. Um, oh, my God. You know, my answer isn't going to be really satisfying. It That's just okay. kind of depends. Sure. It, it just kind of depends on the circumstance and everything else. And, okay. And some lawyers don't want to know, and it just... You know, did you want to know the case and stuff like that? Um, you know, it would depend on the situation because a lot of times, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with quote unquote regular cases, sure. you know, people are on videotape, you know, doing, you know, robbing the Seven Eleven or stuff like that. But, right. um, you know, it just it just depended on the situation. And, and death penalty was was different because death penalty is one of those things where they're they're not going to be charged with death penalty unless they're they're guilty. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. So you just defend their constitutional rights, yeah, make sure that they're not getting steamrolled by the prosecution or whatever. Yeah, that's I mean, that's what we say. And okay. the, the criminal defense attorneys say that so cool. um, it's about the it's not about the client. It's about the Constitution, because those rights that protect all of us are ultimately at play amongst the least of us or the, the most mm. vile of us. You know, wow. And so those rights that. I advocate for in the courtroom are the ones the same ones that protect us all. And a lot of people don't realize that we yeah. can talk, we can talk to crime some other time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I just want to say what a great experience it's been talking to you and, and, and feeling that connection about, you know, that common experience and getting into right. getting deep because I think, you know, it is important that we can, you know, we can have a whole bunch of different interviews of people that, you know, and, and, and you and your Olympic career and things like that. Right. But, but it's not necessarily going to translate in the things about happiness and the connection. And to have people out there hear you say that you're you're blessed by the lessons and grateful for the lessons that you got in the accident. Yeah. I think that means a lot to people that, that may find themselves disabled in the near future and sure. people that are just unhappy and they realize that. If somebody who is that successful as you were in one field 
can find happiness without it and with so much of your life taken away, I think that that's going to give a lot of people hope. So that's so. the part of the, the conversation that I appreciate the most. Me as well. Me as well. And I just want, you know, people who are listening who are maybe going through something. I mean, I think we can all speak on this, right? But just do something that makes you happy. Yeah. Do something that makes you happy, even if you feel guilty about it, like, you know, going on the Amazon or something. If that makes you happy, just do it. Do something. Yeah, you know, and this I was going to say this earlier. Yeah. Uh, is this idea that so many times we believe that those achievements, and we talked about goals early and everything else, yeah. are going to bring us happiness, right? Right, right. When, and, and we say this is a byproduct, but we're really doing it wrong. When we're happy, that's really the ultimate success. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So spot on. How cool. You guys are just rock stars. Well, right back at you. Uh, I well, might Robin's the rock star. Right? Robin, she's rocking Robin herself. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Rocking Robin. But, I see you with that guitar and your Mustang. Uh, yes, well, girl. You know, that's, that's called being happy. That's called shedding the image of being unhappy and just being happy. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Just and that's, be happy. That's the, I think that's the perfect way to end the show, guys. What do you think? Yeah. I think so, too. All Thank right. you guys again. You're lovely. You're uh, amazing. Thank you, Amy. Right back at you. I adore My you Shiro. Both. My Shiro. And I will be texting you all at inappropriate okay. hours of the evening. Right. Ooh, right. I like that. <laughs> I have nobody that's going to care. His wife might actually like that. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm just teasing because she she's a Shiro. Maybe your wife wants to talk to her, too. Maybe so. That's what I'm talking about. You take everything the wrong way. Maybe, I'm, do, maybe I'm a double edge. double date in our future. I you don't never know. know. You never know. And I can come stag. Heck yeah, man. Because yeah. I go out to eat by myself. I'm good it. with that. I love it. That's called being Do you happy. go to a movie by yourself? Absolutely. Good girl. Yeah. I saw Passion of the Christ by myself. Everyone was looking at me like I was crazy. It was a good. to see the movie. No one wants to see it with me. Yeah. My ex one, didn't want to see it. Yeah. But I went. Yeah. I love that. You know, that says a lot about someone who says that they have a lot of self-esteem if you can eat by yourself and if you can go to a movie by yourself. Took a lot of work. Sure it did. All right, guys. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Get Real with Robin. Join Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, each week as they delve into subject matters most are afraid to talk about, but really need to hear. Join us next week here on Star Worldwide Networks as we continue to get real.